Well, good morning. Um, those things are true about me. Uh, I'm really happy to be here. Uh, my name is Brian Ferrone. I have the privilege of serving as district superintendent for EFCA's North Central District, which is, you'll hear a little bit about today. I'm going to spend just a little time here at the beginning of my sermon sharing about uh, the family of churches that you're a part of in the North Central District and the Evangelical Free Church of America. Um, and then most of what we're going to do today is turn our hearts and minds uh, towards Psalm 136 and hear a message that I hope does two things, encourages us and reminds us of what this world we're situated in the midst of desperately, uh, desperately needs. And before I move forward, I just, I think I need to say a word in praise of coffee. I haven't heard coffee in church in, feels like years, right? And maybe it is. So that's pretty exciting for me. I've not yet drank coffee in a church uh, this year. That's a weird thing for me to say out loud. Um, or last year for most of it. So man, maybe I'll stick around and get some after the service just to see what it's like to drink coffee in person again. Um, to begin, I just want to spend a little time, oop, I went too fast. Um, sharing about the North Central District and the Free Church, there are about 170 congregations uh, here in Minnesota that are sister congregations to your congregation. Uh, in our denomination across the nation, there are about 1,600 churches in this association of churches, and then we have about 650 missionaries scattered all over the world. Now, these churches do the same thing that your church does. It seeks to honor Jesus seeks to proclaim the gospel far and wide. They seek to love God and love their neighbors. That's what these congregations are all about, just what you guys are all about. Um, if you want to get a little better picture of our churches here in Minnesota, just kind of what makes up that 173 number, because just like this church has children to seniors, we kind of have the church equivalent of children to seniors too. So there are 144 established congregations. Your church is one of them. Churches that have been planted and have been fully affiliated with our family of churches. In addition, right now, there are 10 church plants going on all across Minnesota, all over the place. We have 12 second language congregations. Most of those are Latino and Spanish, but not all of them are. Um, and then we have seven second uh, campuses or churches that have more than one campus. That's kind of the way our numbers shape up. A final thing I want to share about our district, really the best thing. Um, we are a long-established district. In fact, when you guys have popsicles at Medicine Lake, uh, that is the place where our denomination was established, where it was founded um, uh, many years ago. Um, and this district is long established, so we have resources, we have uh, history, but I just got to tell you, the best thing about us is uh, just the same as the best thing about you, it's the people. Um, and we have a team of 10 people that is dedicated to serving church leaders and churches just like yours. And so sometimes people uh, ask me, or even they'll worry and wonder, who takes care of our pastors? Well, that's, that's the job of the team I'm a part of. It's my job, and it's also your job, too. Um, and we want to help in any way we can. And the people that are on the screen uh, behind me are, uh, are experts in what they do. Um, that's, that's not even the best thing about them. They have a deep, heartfelt, sacrificial love uh, for congregations like yours and leaders like the ones who serve you uh, that is unmatched and you're lucky to have them. And so um, many of you know that, uh, and I'm glad to say it, but I just wanted to let you know uh, that these people are here, here to serve you, and they're the best thing we have. All right, having said all that, I want to pause now before we turn to God's word and ask if you'll pray with me um, that God would speak to us today. So bow your heads, uh, if you would. Take a moment to try to remove distractions, and let's pray.
Father, we come before you and we entered this room today from all kinds of places. For some of us, God, these are easy days and uh, we're hitting on all cylinders. Others, Lord, came into this room uh, and are facing trouble or difficulty, are struggling. Lord, I want to ask that no matter where we are, you would help us pause. I pray, God, you would help us to remove any distractions. Lord, we ask that you would give us the ability, each one in this room, to pay careful attention to what you've said to us. Lord, we pray this not just for us, though we pray our souls will be filled by what we hear. But all the more, Lord, we know that there's a world needing what it is your word says, needing who it is your word shares. And God, I pray today as we hear your word and think about your goodness and wonder at the way you provide for people, I pray you would give us a vision afresh uh, to share it with those around us. God, I pray you give us ears to hear me and these brothers and sisters in Christ, the ability to hear what you say to us. And God, I pray you would guard my words. I pray they would honor you, uh, be true, and be good. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'm going to begin today uh, by telling you a story about my daughter, Grace. Uh, that's a, that picture actually is pretty recent. My son, Samuel, uh, just graduated from the University of Minnesota, and we got to have an in-person ceremony, which was pretty exciting. We did it uh, where the University of Minnesota, I think, plays hockey and basketball. Um, and it was a little spread out, um, but it came just after the mask rules had changed a little bit. Um, and so Grace and I aren't even breaking any rules in that picture when we took off our mask to, to take it indoors. My daughter, Grace, uh, my son, 21, just graduated from U of M, just got his full, first full-time job. In fact, he's just about to look for an apartment. So pray for us. We're trying to figure out what it means to have an empty nest. And now people tell us it doesn't stay empty very long, so we're not going to get too attached to it. Um, but my daughter is going to be a senior at Trinity, and she's 20, wonderful girl with a dad who loves her and is overprotective, right? Um, and we have this habit, Grace and I. Um, tell me if anybody else does this. We like to sing in the car together. Uh, we love it. It's kind of one of our things. Uh, it makes road trips go better. Uh, we connect. We kind of have this agreement. She'll give me songs that I'm supposed to learn, um, from her musical world, and I'll give her songs from my musical world that she's supposed to learn, and then we, we'll kind of sing them together, um, kind of loud and uh, embarrassingly. And one of the songs that Grace and I like to sing is this song called Something to Believe In. It's a song from my childhood, not a Christian song. Don't Google it now. Be careful. I'm not sure what will come up if you Google it, so be careful. Um, it's by a band named Poison, not a huge favorite of mine now, but some of you are remembering, right, back in the day. Um, and it's, it's this interesting song that uh, talks about a person looking for somebody, something or someone or somewhere to put their hope. And Grace and I recently, we were singing this song, it was about a year and a half ago, I think, maybe a little longer. And we're singing this song, and we got done singing it, and we had a little gap between the next one. And she says, you know, Dad, that's the best almost Christian song I know. And uh, man, that phrase stuck with, it stuck with me. My daughter, uh, she hit the nail on the head. This song, um, in it, this person just longs for bedrock. They long for something that they can put their hope in that'll fill them up, that'll take away the emptiness. Um, and uh, it's not quite a Christian song, but it is almost a Christian song. And the reason is, 
It's been my experience, and this is my story. I don't come from a Christian family, but there was an emptiness inside me, a vacuum, and I was looking for something. I was looking for something my whole life, and it, it was at that time that I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it changed my life, but as I remember back to those days, it reminds me that, that uh, every single person, I think this is true, you may not agree, but I think it's true. Every single person is searching for something to believe in. They are looking for a place to put their hope, trying to find a place to rest their confidence. I come from a, a non-Christian family, and my family, you know what? And all they're wandering, they are searching for bedrock. Now today, we're going to look at a psalm. And this psalm is about God, about who he is and what he's done. And uh, on the one hand, it's going to fill us up. But I want to suggest to, to us today as we read the psalm, we don't just read it with ourselves in mind. But we read it with this world in mind, this world that has been struggling and, and hurting. Um, in fact, the big idea I want to share today is this. And it will be the driving idea throughout my time with you in our word, in God's word today. And that's this, that God's unending love, we're going to see all, all his love and its glory and his soul-satisfying provision are the burning center of our mission in this world. Your church has been plopped down here in St. Louis Park because of this. And so I just want us to think about this idea today, and we're going to really look at this idea by doing a couple things. First, we're going to spend the first half of our time, maybe even a little more, listening carefully to Psalm 136. That's going to involve, I'm going to read it chunk by chunk, I want to encourage you to listen carefully. The best things I say today will be the words that I read from God's words. And then after that, we're going to ask this question, how can what we see, what we've seen in God's word, how can it shape our mission? So turning to Psalm 136. And I put kind of all my points up there um, so we wouldn't have any problems, but just try to, try to stay with me in the moment as you hear these words piece by piece. About our, God, about our God, Psalm 136. The first thing we're going to see as we look is that our God is wondrously great. Uh, look down in your Bibles with me, open them up on your phones, flip to them if you have a paper copy like I do, and hear these words. In my Bible, it's given the heading, His steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 136, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. This psalm begins with a clear statement about how wondrously great our God is. And it does it by saying these things. It says he's the God of gods, right? He's the Lord of lords. And it's asserting that he is above everything, that he is better than everything, that in every category, he's the best there is in it. Think for a second about uh, people you know who are the best at what they do. Think about, take a minute, think about the best mom you know. The person who just hits it out of the park. Or think about the best, you know, Father's Day's coming. Think about the best dad you know, the dad of dads, right? The very best at it. 
This week, this last week, I was in Chicago as part of my responsibilities. I get to, I get to be a part of a lot of boards, um, which might sound like torture to some of you. And man, let me tell you, there are times when board meetings are a little bit like torture. Um, I was in Chicago for a board meeting, and, and part of what I got to do on that trip is meet with a person who does my job in the Great Lakes District, another part of the free church. And, and I got to tell you, he's one of the best that do this. And uh, it's interesting, I had that moment, you know, traffic has come back, right? Have you noticed this? Like, do you remember the glorious absence of traffic? If we can celebrate some things over the last year, not having traffic was one of them. Well, we were in Chicago, and this friend of mine, who I think is the district superintendent of district superintendents, he is, he's the best of the best, I think. Um, he took the time to come up and meet with me up at Trinity, and it was interesting, he was, he was very afraid for me the whole time that I wouldn't get on the road soon enough, that traffic would kind of catch us. Man, just like coffee in church, that hasn't happened to me in a long time, that somebody worried about traffic and and how it would affect my life. But when I was with this man, and I I asked him my questions, you know, I'm new at this. This is year five for me. I'm four years in or eight years in. I've been doing district work for a little while longer. And I asked him questions. It was so good to be with someone who just, he knew what he was talking about. He knew how to navigate it. He was an expert. Now, If you can think about people who are experts in our human realm, how much more is our God? He is wondrously great. Hear this. Our God, think about everything you know, everyone you know, everything you've seen. Have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? Our God is bigger and brighter and more beautiful, right? Have you ever stood out at one of the Great Lakes and looked at how vast it is? It is small potatoes compared to our God. Have you, have you done what I've done in this last year? And thought, how? Who could be big enough to fix this mess? Right? The, the Bible has a clear, unambiguous, and helpful answer. Our, our God. He has promised in Jesus Christ in the cross and resurrection, in the middle of this messy world, in his coming that we sang about today, and in a future kingdom that will have no brokenness, his greatness will be seen and his goodness will be felt universally. Now that is good, good news that our God is wondrously great. But the psalm goes on to say more. Look down at your Bibles with me at verses five through nine. Not only is he great, he made everything. Verse 5 says this, to him who by understanding made the heavens for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights for his steadfast love endures forever. To the sun or the sun to rule over the day for his steadfast love endures, endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night for his steadfast love endures forever. Think about a God who made everything. Everything. Uh, we were talking before uh, the service about gardens. Anybody have one? Rumor has it they're harder to get to work here. I live in Cottage Grove, and apparently we, we don't have city squirrels, which is good news. We have uh, country squirrels, which seem to mind their own business and, and not eat our stuff, right? We, Terry and I, last year during coronavirus, because we had to get out, do you remember last summer when you're like, we've got to do something? We built a garden and a little paper patio. And it's funny how proud I was of that, right? I'm like, oh, look what I made. I made something. Looks good. I don't don't do the Facebook thing, but if I did, I would have put it up there and bragged about it. 
You know, pretended my whole life looked like that thing, right? It would have been awesome, right? Think about our world. Think about it. I live near the Mississippi River. That thing is a wonder. It's a wonder. Think about, think about this state. This state is amazing. It's amazing what God has made. The forests all over Minnesota. The rivers. Think about Minnesota in October. In October. It's beautiful. It is a wonder. It's a wonder. God made all this. Think about the sun. The sun. Has anybody tried to get themselves to look good on Zoom with the right lighting, right? Think about someone who can make the sun and the moon and the stars. He is wondrously great. He is creative beyond compare. Think about one who makes a world perfect. He made a world that's perfect. That world, through human rebellion, falls into decay. That's just the way it is right now. But this one, this God, this King of Kings, this Lord of Lords has promised one day it will shine in splendor again. Think about that. Moving forward, not just did he make everything, not is he just wondrously great as a statement, he rescues people. Our God rescues people. Look down at your Bibles, a longer section. I want you to hear it all. Starting in verse 10. Sobering, difficult words to read about the costly rescue God provided his children Israel and provides for us. Verse 10, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever, and brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, for his steadfast love endured forever, and killed mighty kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. Sion, the king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever, and Og, the king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. This section reminds us that God rescues people. He rescues people. Now, for the people of Israel in bondage, God rescued them out of Egypt. And you remember the story. It's the story of the Passover, how God's judgment was going to come on all the firstborn children. And the people of Israel put a mark on their door, right? And God passed over them. And it was that judgment that freed God's children from Egypt. It is, that's a heartbreaking story. It's costly. And then they went on the run and were chased and pursued. And God makes an ocean go like this, like he parts the sea. Who can do these things? He parts the sea and they pass through it and then he brings it back together on enemies, on the enemies of Israel. And the story goes on to tell in other ways these kings that were struck down by God who were oppressing God's people. You know, it's interesting. My wife Terry and I were driving here and on the one hand you hear these stories and you think those are amazing stories. 
but they're not quite our stories. Anyone who's put their hope in Jesus, those are the stories of your ancestors in one sense. But they're not quite our stories. But just like God delivers people, he rescues people in those days, you know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to remember how God rescues you and I. He rescues us. My rescue story to me is crystal clear. It's crystal clear. I was a kid. I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. I I came from a loving family, but they didn't know the Lord. And uh, the vision my family gave me for life and the hope that they provided, you know what? It was, I was about 12 when I realized it just wasn't enough. just wasn't enough. It was also around that, that time that I realized that there was brokenness in me, that my enemies just weren't outside. They actually were me. That there was stuff scattered in me that needed to be made straight. That there was stuff broken in me that was bent in me that needed to be put right. And you know what? When I was... Uh, 16 years old, I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I heard it through a ministry called Young Life. I don't know if anyone's heard of Young Life. It was designed for kids like me who'd never been to church and didn't have a church, but knew the empty hole in their heart and knew their need for rescue. And you know what happened in my life? It was amazing. I was rescued. I was 16 years old. I put my hope in Jesus and my life changed. And he brought me, the Bible says, from darkness to light. He gave me peace. He gave me joy. Um, it was, it was life-changing for me. And I bet not everyone in here can tell a story like that, but I bet a lot of you can. How, how our God, who's great, so great, who made everything, actually came into your life and rescued you. Um, that's what this passage says in stark detail. Now, my story isn't as brutal as this story, and yours probably isn't either, but it might be. But nonetheless, our God rescues his people. Two more things I want you to see before we move on to how this fits for us. It says he gives us what we need. Look at verse 21. Carrying on from that last thought, he gave their land as a heritage for his steadfast love endures forever, verse 21. Verse 22, a heritage to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state and rescued us from our foes for his steadfast love endures forever. Verse 25, and he who gives food to all flesh for his steadfast love endures forever. Now our God provides for us. And this in one sense is a reference to how God provided for the children of Israel when they were wandering in the desert, how he gave them food. But more than that, our God provides for us today. It's another way we know that he cares for us. He gives us what we need. Now, in this last year, there have been times, anybody ever pray like this, where you're like, God, I think I really need this, and you don't seem to be giving me this, right? There were times where I thought, boy, I've caught my limit of conflict and pain. I don't have any more space, and God let me know I did, right? There were times where he brought me out of that. There are all kinds of times, but, but it is a bedrock truth that for his people, even though we don't always live, God gives us what we need right? That we can trust him. That we can put our hope in him. We have our confidence in him. He's the one who provides for us. And then finally, this final thing I want you to see, verse 26, his faithful love has no end. I'll read verse 26. Give thanks to the, to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. You know, it would be a strange sermon indeed on this if I forgot to mention the thing that gets mentioned every single time, right? 
Like, he's great, absolutely. He made everything, totally. He rescues people, absolutely. He gives us what we need, but over and over again, there's that phrase, his steadfast love endures forever. His mercy-giving love, his family-faithful love, it never, never ends. It never, never ends. Even in the best of families, even in the healthiest of marriages, we know they're fragile, don't we? One of the things I love about our God, the assertion that's being made here, is that his love for you and me, unbreakable, unending. It's not going to be gone tomorrow. It can't be shaken by what goes on in our culture or in our homes. It is durable and powerful and lasting. It never, never fades. I mentioned that we're about to be empty nesters. It causes you to reflect. At least it is for us. Here we are in our mid-40s. Our kids are getting ready to, you know, take couches with them as they go to other places to live, right? And I think back to those times. I think about the day our kids were born. And I remember thinking, I didn't know people could feel this way about other people when I saw my son and daughter born. It, I remember those early years, you know. I remember the joy of throwing the pacifier away. Oh, that was a day. Like, I remember when they could dress themselves. Oh, those were days, right? Except for some of the clothing choices, you know. But we were free spirits in the Frome family with matching. We still are. I remember when they went off to school for the first time. And you're like, are they going to be alive when they get back? I remember all these days, all through the years, And as I look back and I think about this emptiness moment that is about to come that I hope doesn't last, honestly, I hope the boomerang thing happens, right? I hope they come back. We bought a house that's a little bit like two houses, which turns out a lot of Minnesota houses are like this. Like we have a a thing in the basement that in California we would have called a house where you live, but it turns out it's just kind of the basement with a couple bedrooms and a little kitchenette thing. And I'm hoping they come back because I have such a deep love for these kids through it all. But it is my love for these kids. If you have kids, you should think about this for a second. The love you have for them, it pales in comparison to the love he has for you and I. For any who put their hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ, who become adopted sons and daughters because of it, his love for you is unending. It's unending. In a year that was filled with trouble and difficulty, can I say the best thing I remembered was that truth, that God's love for a sinner like me, part of the problem, part of the solution, I hope, a sinner like me is unending. It's unending. That's what Psalm 136 says to us. It says he's wondrously great. It says he made everything. It says he rescues his people. It says he gives us what we need. And it says that his steadfast and faithful love never ends. So the question I want to turn to with our remaining time, not too much, is how can the message of Psalm 136 shape our mission? God's unending love and soul-satisfying provision, what do they do? And I want to suggest three things. First is this. These things are a better foundation for our mission to make a difference in this world. It is easy to think that we can build outward on our strengths and our gifts and our history. And you know what? I know your church well enough to know you guys have tons of that stuff. You do. But it is tempting to think that the good stuff you have is the good stuff you have. It's not. 
who God is and what he has done is a much better foundation for your mission in this world than money, than power, than wisdom. And those things are good. We should use those things. The Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I think it means in part to use those things. But then in Philippians, you know what the next verse is? Because it is God who works in you, both to will and work for his good pleasure. When you think about the difference you want to make in this community, and I know you have ambitions to be the gospel of Jesus Christ in this community, build on this foundation of who God is, of what he's done, of his unending love. Resist the urge to build on human foundations. Resist the urge to race after human solutions. Resist it. That's the first thing I want to encourage you today. The second, and it's a little bit like it, um, it's a more, God's unending love and his soul-satisfying provision are a more robust motivation than guilt or need. Right? So let me give you a real-world example that I'm positive you're experiencing. Uh, is your church looking for children's ministry workers right now? Right? Right? Shame on you people. It's not very motivating, is it? Right? Can I suggest another way? Right? I've, I can't tell you how many times in my life I've stood before congregations and pleaded with people to volunteer for stuff. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm a professional asker when it comes to that stuff. And there's a temptation on behalf of your leaders to say, we have this real need, and you do. Or look how cute these kids are. Wouldn't you like to hang out with them? Or look how sad these kids are. Nobody loves them, right? Like, whatever it is, right? But you know, you know the reason, the powerful motivation to serve? You know what it is? It's our God. He is great and glorious. He reigns in splendor. He is beautiful and wonderful. That's a reason to serve. Uh, let me just admit, I'm playing along in real time. Like, I'm, I will confess, I'm a paid Christian, right? I'm a paid Christian, sometimes. But I'll also tell you the truth. My wife, Terry, and I just started volunteering in our high school ministry. You know why? A hundred little reasons and one big one. A hundred little reasons and one big one. Our God is so good. He is so wonderful. I want to share that with students. I do. I do, even when it gets in the way of my life. And even when I have to say to our youth pastor, you know what, I'm, I'm a kind of an inconsistent leader, I apologize. I'll be here sometimes, and other times I'm not going to be here. As you guys think about service, as you think about the sacrifices you will surely make in the next decade to reach this community, it will be tempting to think we ought to, or we're supposed to, or I feel guilty and I didn't. Can I just encourage you, Christianity has utterly no foundation there. It doesn't. You know where it has a foundation? Look heavenward. Look at the sun and the moon and the stars. Look at this world he has made. Look backward at the cross. At the cross that, doesn't, that doesn't, isn't designed to make you feel guilt or shame, but it is designed to free you of guilt and shame. Right? As a high school kid, I felt a ton of both. As a 46-year-old man, I don't. I don't because of Jesus Christ. And I got to tell you, in this world and in this church, that is a beautiful thing, and people need more and more of it. So as you think about your mission and your desire to serve, remember that who God is and what he's done are the best motivation. And then finally, just a final word on how this psalm and the Bible it sits in can shape us uh, for mission.
Um, it is at the heart of the good news we share and the mercy we extend to those around us. Um, in this year, um, when I go meet with people from other places and I tell them where I'm from because I bump into leaders, they think, oh, it must have been a hard year in Minneapolis. It was a hard year in Minneapolis, right? I, like you, have spent a lot of time thinking, what can we do to make this place better? To help us get along better? To heal injustice better? To love one another better? Um, you know what the most Christian answer to that question is? It's who God is and what he's done. The best solution I know, the best solution I know, the heart of the news we have to share with this community is Jesus Christ, our coming King. It's what he did when he was here. The perfect life he lived, the terrible death he died, the resurrection he lived and, and demonstrated his power through. It's who our God is who made this world, who holds it in his hands, who, who offers to people through repentance and receiving Jesus peace and forgiveness. And you know what else it does? I find this to be amazing. It makes people like you and I brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters. The Bible, when it uses sibling language to describe what happens to Christians, it's not, just, it's not that it couldn't find other language. That's really what is going on. When anyone puts their hope in Jesus Christ, no matter who they are or where they're from or what they've done, they become brothers and sisters with you and I. Siblings, forever. It's the strongest language in the Bible for the kind of relation that get, relationship that gets created. When I think about what can make broken people come back together, the gospel is that answer. And the gospel on the one hand is Jesus dying on the cross and raising again, but can I tell you on the other hand, it's a God who made everything. It's a God who holds this world in his hand. It's a God who rescues and delivers people. It's a God who provides for our needs. It's a God whose steadfast love never, 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 never ends. Never ends. My hope and prayer for you as you walk out of here today um, is that uh, you, if you're a Christian, you would remember that. It's so easy to forget who our God is, what he's done, how it centers our soul. You know, the reason church happens every Sunday is we're forgetful and obstinate people, right? And we need to be reminded Sunday after Sunday there's a God in heaven, there's a Jesus, a, a redeemer. This world is in need of gospel-shaped love. I need to hear that. I need to hear that every week. So if you're a Christian, I hope you remember it. And one of the ways you know what Christians remember is what they say. It just is. And so I hope you remember it by saying it. I hope you remember it by sharing it. I hope you remember it by when you look at your neighbors and, and they seem to want all kinds of things, you remember they want this. They want genuine Christianity. They want him. They want him. Every person who was ever made was designed to want him. And apart from the cross, there's no way to get them to have him. Let me pray. Father, we...
pause here uh, at the end of a time in your word and before taking communion, which is at the very heart of what this psalm teaches, that we draw near to you through the blood of Jesus. Father, we pause and pray that you would fill us up, that you would help us to remember this week who you are and what you've done, that that remembering would do something in us, not because of guilt or shame, but because it's the best foundation to build on of all foundations. And you would put a song on our mouth. You would put joy in our hearts. For people who are singing almost Christian songs, Lord, we pray that we would give them the real song. And it would become like a banner for them and an anthem for them and uh, the story of their life and the rescue of their hearts and the fulfillment of their souls. We pray these things because Jesus saves us and rescues us and redeems us and restores us. We pray these things in his name and for his sake, amen. Thank you for letting me share God's word with you today.